0: And today's catechism starts with a little, kind of a provocative question, if you don't exactly know what is being said in the language of um, several centuries ago. The question for today in this catechism is, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? Now, if you didn't know what they were talking about, you might have a lot to say about what you think about the Catholic Church. But it's not talking about the Catholic Church like the one down the road. Catholic, in this sense, you can see in the, in the, in the uh, text here, Catholic is not, um, what? Capitalized. capitalized. Church is capitalized. Um, whereas if we were talking about the church down the street, the Catholic, the Catholic would be capitalized and church would be not capitalized. So in this sense, it's talking about Catholic in the sense that Catholic just means universal, one-minded, you know, um, Church. Not the particular denomination of a uh, certain type of Christian faith. Um, This is just the universal church, all of those who are part of the body of Christ. Not those who are part of a particular denomination, or whatever you might want to call that. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. Sometimes I just go on and on about something, and i don 't even know if it 's making sense so <laughs> um, so what so the que- so I read the question we 'll read the answer together What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? That out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by His Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself unto everlasting life a chosen communion in the unity of the true faith, that I am forever and shall remain a living member of this communion. That's a long one. That's a long answer. So we're all going to memorize that this, this for the in the next 15 minutes. Does that sound good? No, we're not going to focus on memorizing it. In my opinion, it's more important for us to understand what's going on than memorizing these words that were put together by men hundreds of years ago. Um, if it was a scripture reference, I would not take it so lightly. But it's good to memorize. But right now, let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this holy Catholic Church um, that God has established for Himself through Jesus Christ, starting in the book of Ephesians. we'd like to go to the book of Ephesians together, if somebody could read chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 for us. So we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that he heard the word of truth, the gospel, and your salvation, and whom also after that you believed. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so this is, some people have heard about dispensationalism. This is the only word time in the scriptures that dispensation actually appears in scripture. And it's not talking about the particular point of view concerning end times and things like that about <coughs> uh, pre um, uh, dispensationalism. And that's not really, it's not my point tonight to talk about that. What this is basically saying is that. From the very beginning of scripture, from the very beginning of time, God had a goal in mind. God had established a purpose from way back in the book of Genesis. When we when we're reading the book of Genesis, we're not just reading a conglomeration of stories that come out that we get to pull out good Moral stories about how to be a good person, how to follow God, how to do what 's right, we need to choose to to do what 's right and not choose to do what 's wrong. people who do what 's wrong get destroyed people that do what 's right um, you know benefit from god 's grace that 's not how we should approach the book of Genesis when we approach the book of Genesis, we see the beginning of everything that God is going to do for the rest of time we see the initiation of God's predetermined plan that He unfolds most notably in the person of Jesus Christ. Back in Genesis is when He starts the redemption plan. He carries it through the history of, of, of Israel. It explodes when Jesus comes onto the scene and now we are in the aftermath of that atomic explosion that happened when Jesus Christ came to the earth and established The church after he died. So we see here what he's talking about in that the dispensation of the fullness of time. When the time was right, he would gather together. There's going to be a time when he gathers together and in one all things in Christ. This is everything that he's been planning to do to make one everything that he has planned to fulfill. And to bring together in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in Him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Okay? You have received Jesus Christ. And everything that's happened in Scripture has been going together, working together for the good of those who are the called according to His purpose, the Bible says. And when you you sit here having received the gospel of reconciliation, it was not by accident. It was something that was part of the plan for centuries, for millennia. Because we have obtained an inheritance. How? Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The Bible says it very straightforward. According to the counsel of His own will. Not the counsel of your will, not the counsel of your grandmother's will, or your parents' will, or your church's will, or that evangelist's will. But those were all part of the puzzle piece. They were all puzzle pieces that came together to bring you to Christ, according to God's predetermined will. But a lot of people don't like that word. You shouldn't be using that. Right. Right. And, and frankly, I, I can sympathize with a lot of those people, because I've heard it taught, very dry, melodramatic, very not like what it is in Scripture, like this explosion of mercy and joy and satisfaction in Christ. You know People, for over the decades and over the centuries, have not been very good at teaching it properly. You just got to believe it. It's just the facts. Well, it's not just a fact. You know, this Scripture and the doctrine of predestination, is a, it's an entity. It's a personality in Scripture that's woven all through it, and it's beautiful. There's actually an aesthetic to it in Scripture. But we don't get that through how a lot of people teach about the subject. And it's unfortunate, because it's a beautiful doctrine. We just don't always see it that way. Um, and... We often, you know, people that I've talked to who are against the notion have become against it because they've seen what kinds of destruction that can happen, that can happen. I've heard of testimonies of people that have kind of rejected Christ cause it, because of how they heard a sermon. They just felt like they weren't predestined, so they're just kind of go and kind of do whatever they want <laughs> because they're not predestined, and they've determined that because of how somebody was teaching it. Um, so it can be taught destructively. But it's not supposed to. It's supposed to be constructive. Um, and then in verse 13 he says, Those who have been brought into this gospel of salvation, in whom also having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then in verse 14 it kind of explains that, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is the redemption ticket given, you know, kind of given to you at that wedding so that when you come back you, you can get your coat back. Showing that that's your coat um, but you, if you don't have that redemption ticket, then you don't get that coat you know that's kind of a loose way of interpreting this but just to say here, you have the Holy Spirit, you're clothed in righteousness, given the Holy Spirit you have on you know as I, I was just reading in Matthew um, was it chapter sixteen that there were people that were invited to a wed- the wedding of the king's son. So he, to kind of run down the story, because most of it we'll talk about later. But, you know, people reject- the people who were invited rejected it, but then the people from the highways and byways were, were uh, invited. But then there was one guy that the king noticed. He was invited from the highways and byways, but he wasn't wearing wedding garments. So he was cast out into outer darkness. Kind of like this. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our festive garment by which the king knows this person belongs at this wedding. The Holy Spirit is the one given to us as the promise, the guarantee that we are going to be one with God in the eternal kingdom. And He's the one who binds us all here on this earth as the church, the body of Christ, all sealed together within the same bond in the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ... And the Holy Spirit is the one who testifies of Christ, binds us together in unity. So we must not neglect the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is literally the one who, you know how Jesus is the one who um, upholds and sustains all things? He does. How, what's the power that does that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is binding us and keeping us together, uniting us in one mind. Because we all have that same Spirit. We all have that same Holy Spirit. And He's not going to teach you to go and you know, do something that's wrong and teach you to go and do something that's right. He's not going to cause you to sin and you not to sin. No. He binds us all in the same mind of Christ. But let's flip over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 25 to 27. Would anybody like to read that for us? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself water, that he might sanctify and plant it with the washing of water by the word. In 27, please. That he might present it to himself, the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful passages about what Christ, how Christ relates to the church, the body, his bride. I and mean, we just talked about how these people were invited to the wedding of his son. Well, who's, 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 the, who's the son being wedded to? The church. The church. We are the bride of Christ. And this is, Paul is giving advice on marriage here. The best advice that Paul knew how to give was to show us The example of how Christ relates to the church—that's the best marriage advice a man can receive. And how is he? What does he say? Christ, how Christ relates to the church. So, husbands, we're supposed to love our wives just like Christ loved the church. What's that first quality? What's that first relating point? And gave himself for her. Christ gave himself up so that he could have you and me, the church, so that. Having us, he might sanctify. Set us apart. This, this word. The idea here is, you know. Remember, this isn't the idea of marriage. When I married my wife, I was making her my special someone. I'm not going off with somebody else. I'm not constantly looking around at other women. No. When I marry my wife, when I married my wife, I said, "You're it. Till death do us part." And that, in a sense, that was me sanctifying her, setting her apart. But we also know scripturally that this sanctification is also a transforming process. We, I made, we, you know, Just like marriage is a transforming process, right? <laughs> um, we all change through marriage. We, we form and we mold together. We may not like to admit that, but when, when I married my wife, I changed because she's there all the time. That personality now being with me all the time, I change and she's changed because I'm with her all the time and I've been guiding her and helping her and she's been helping me and we change. And God, you know, Christ, when he takes us, takes us for himself, he sanctifies us. He sets us apart. And that's part of that beautiful doctrine of election. Sanctification is election. You can't have sanctification without this idea of election where he's pulled us apart and made us special, made us different than everybody else. He's chosen us, he's married us, he's wed us to himself. Made us his special someone, us the church in particular. And so that he might sanctify us, he set us apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. In the church, as part of his church, this is how we are cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. Not outside the church, now I'm not talking about this building per se, but part of the, again, this is the universal Catholic church. Inside this established, this holy, God-made institution, this is where we find true, real change, cleansing, and washing. Why Why does He care to wash us? In verse 27, so that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He didn't choose the church just so that they could be whatever they want to be. But he's he prepares the church. He prepares his bride so that his bride will be beautiful, holy, spotless, perfect. And then he goes on and talks about husbands loving their wives similarly. Any questions or any comments about that? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. Who would like to read that for us? And This goes along with in this in this answer above how he preserves for himself unto everlasting life this chosen communion. So we already established that he he claims us. He claims us as his bride and he makes us his special his special church, his special bride. And how do and how are we going to how is he going to treat us then? Is he just going to let us go and play the harlot? No, he says, whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's talking about Christ being the firstborn among many brethren, <clears throat> those are you and I being his brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he justified. Those whom he justified, these he also glorified. You're glorified. And you will be glorified. That's just part of the package deal. He doesn't call you and then let you fall away into everlasting destruction. No. Glorification is the game plan. We experience some of that, a little bit, a taste of it. I mean, in this, in this language here, he says you are also glorified. Glorified. But it's also something that's in the works, going to have its final fulfillment when we stand before Him. And how is He going to do that according to His own game plan if we can just fall away because we just choose to? That goes against this entire passage. So there you have, you have the confirmation of eternal life for those who come to Christ. To the church. Because the church is what he has chosen to be his special treasure, the apple of his eye, and he's not going to take his eye off of us. And he knows how to preserve us so that we obtain that everlasting life. Matthew sixteen, thirteen to nineteen. Are there any questions about that as we are flipping over to this other passage? Who would like to read Matthew 16, 13 through 19? Go ahead. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who did the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Amirus and the prophets. <clears throat> but what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overturn it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be found in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be used in heaven. Now in this passage, what kind of questions come up? This, this passage has instigated a lot of different questions over the years. Which really, at an honest look, shouldn't really be that big of a question. But what are some of the questions being asked about this passage? One is, is Peter the rock on which the church is going to be built? Right. Is he the first? Uh, uh, right. That's the, probably the biggest question being asked. And in this passage... He starts out being called Simon, Bar Jonah, or bar meaning the son of Jonah, his father's name or, you know, patriarchal ancestor. Um, Simon prophetically spoke, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." I mean, that is the, the center of this whole passage. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Whereas all the other people were saying, oh, you, you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. That's what the public was kind of saying. The reincarnation of a prophet, come back to, to bring us out of slavery to the Romans, or whatever it is that they were saying. But Peter stood out prophetically and said, no, here's the truth. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, if my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And I say to you that you are Peter. Okay, so now he just changed his name. He's no longer Simon, he's now changing his name, naming Peter after what he just said. Which is the rock. And on this rock, he doesn't say, and on you, the rock, he says on this rock, referring back to the statement he just stated. That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the rock on which I will build my church. This key center, non-negotiable truth. That Jesus is the rock. Everything else flows from that. That's the cornerstone. If you're not built on that, then you're not a church. That's what he's teaching here. And he's telling Peter, I'm naming you after this. This center focus. This rock on which my church will stand. I'm naming you, Peter, after that. I'm not making you a pope. I'm not, calling, I'm not saying the church is going to be built on you. The church is built on this truth. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And any church that teaches differently is not a true church. Because it's not built on the rock. It's built on sinking sand that's ever shifting and moving with the culture. But this is the non-negotiable, non-changing rock on which the church is built. And it says, not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against it. Nothing is moving this. Nothing is changing this. The church, you know, An institutional building church might change its views. It might change its dogma. But the truth, the eternal truth that rests in the hands of God will never change. Well, let's move on. Let's. Sh- we don't have too much time left. Let's. Let's read one more of these here. Um, 1 Corinthians one five through ten. I would encourage you to kind of look through these on your own time. First <clears throat> Corinthians one five to ten. I'll go ahead and read these. I'll just start at verse 4, because it's kind of the beginning of the sentence. I thank my God, always concerning you, for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all endurance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless... In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now Paul, in this uh, introduction to the Corinthian church, um, is kind of stating a lot of the things that we've been talking about through various passages. That got the testimony of Christ, the Son of the Living God, is confirmed in them that He is their foundation. Okay, they're all they're all of one mind in this that Christ is the Son of the Living God. That's the testimony of Christ. Remember, Sunday afternoon we were talking about what is a testimony. in a a courtroom. A witness witness is testifying about something they've seen or heard. This is what I saw. This is what I witnessed. This This is what I can tell you I saw. That I know because I saw it. So the testimony of Christ. They know Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's what they're built on. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come back and establish everything that he's promised. Who will also confirm you to the end. Okay? He's also standing there confirming them that they are indeed worthy recipients of the favor of God because he has forgiven their sins. So that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Lord comes, he's there next to you dissipating any Any, uh, what what do you call it, any attacks from Satan, when Satan comes and says, what? Accusations. Any accusations, thank you, That was the word I was looking for. He's dissipating, any accusations against them, that no, they they deserve to go to hell, they deserve death, look at all the sins they've committed, and if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, they were one messed up group of people, especially in the past, but still, (laughs) they had lots of problems. That many people could accuse them of, especially Satan. And Jesus Christ, having chosen them, made them His special people, the church. He stands next to them, protecting them. As a husband would protect his wife. Saying, no, no, I've already paid their price. I've already paid their penalty. You may be right about the things that they've done, but that's no longer standing against them. That's why He says, so that you may be blameless. Doesn't mean they didn't do the things that they're accused of, but there's no more reason to blame them for it because the 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 penalty is gone. They're no longer guilty for those things because they've been forgiven. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord. He follows that by just saying God is faithful. He's not going to. um, He's not a respecter of persons. You can trust on His sound judgment. That when Christ stand up, stands up for you, the Father is going to take his judgment. He is not going to, you're not going to be able, he's not going to waffle based off of the type of life that you lived. Because whom the Son sets free are free indeed. Indeed. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, that fellowship is the church. And that's why he goes on in verse 10 to then dive into, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Be a fellowship. That there be no divisions among you. But that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why? Because you're the fellowship. You're the church. You're supposed to be standing in the same, on the same rock, held together by the same Holy Spirit, There should be no reason for these these dissensions, no reason for that, so I urge you, brother, and he says, I plead with you, get rid of all these arguments, get rid of all these divisions, speak the same thing, be of the same mind because you 're the church you 're the church you 're the body of christ there 's no room for this. forget you know throughout You know, the epistle, forgive, love. Wouldn't you rather take wrong than to make the body of Christ a mockery because of your division? Why? Because we're the church, and we're founded on Christ, and we stand for Christ, and we're his special people, the church.